Please be seated. Let's take a moment and ask God to do something that we can't do this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are still drilling into my heart words that we were singing earlier. That we uh, lift up our eyes to Jesus because he is the giver of life. And we, uh, we pray that prayer now out of a sense of desperation and confidence. Desperation because Jesus is the giver of life. If we don't get life through you, Lord, we won't have it. If we grab it, we will lose hold of it. You're the only one strong enough to claim it and seize it and keep it forever and keep it not just for yourself, but keep it in such a way that you long to share it with anyone, anywhere, anytime who puts their trust in you. You are the giver of life. And so we pray with desperation, needing you to give us that great gift, and we pray with confidence that you are generous and that you give the people who have no right to ask for the gift of life. We ask this morning that you would give us life through the scriptures. They were words of life to you, Lord Jesus, as you dwelt on this planet. And we ask that you would make them words of life for each person in this room. For those of us who already believe them to be words of life, for those of us who think that in our heads but can't see it with our hearts today, for those of us who don't believe that these are words of life, would you bring them to life and help us to see them in a new way? Jesus, we lift up our eyes to you because you are the giver of life. Amen. One day I was running with a friend in St. Louis, a guy named Jack. We were talking about a race he had just run. It was kind of this perfect storm. New race hadn't been run before, a new organization having this fundraising event. And uh, so the word hadn't quite spread yet. And um, it meant that not everybody had shown up for this uh, particular event. It was a good day for Jack to win a race. And um, he had been training hard, and he was doing great. He was way out in front of everyone on this inaugural. I mean, kind of not only fun to win a race if you're a runner, but, but fun to win, win the inaugural, the first one ever of this particular 5K. And he was so far out ahead of everyone else, and then something went wrong. Uh, the race course made a turn. And he didn't know it. So he kept running straight. He was doing great. Way out in front of everybody else. We're going the wrong direction. Um, in town's calling, our mission before God calls each of us to do something that we're great at. We got this. We can do this. We know how to do this. We can do great. But human hearts take this thing and turn it in the wrong direction. What is this thing? Well, it's a thing called surrender. It is, it is learning to continually submit our deepest needs and longings to something bigger than ourselves, 
to see our deepest needs and longings as human beings through the lens, not of our own wisdom or our own resources, but to see them through the lens of something bigger and more powerful than we are. And if, if the human heart is turned in the right direction, then we're constantly looking to the God who offers life and goodness through Jesus Christ as the one to meet those deepest needs and fulfill and satisfy those longings. But the human heart has a way of taking that thing and turning it in the wrong direction. What does that look like? Well, we're about to hear from Psalm 115, a great description of what our hearts do with this need to surrender. Sonia's going to read for us this morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from uh, Luke 18:27 and Psalm 115 verses 1 to 11. Luke 18 verse 27 says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And from Psalm 115 verses 1 to 11, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, noises, but they but do not smell, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You put yourself in Jack's place today. Um, you, you know what it's like to work really hard for something, to have a deep longing to see that thing come to fulfillment, and yet it leads to disappointment. Um, in Jack's case, he didn't just want to win a race, but he, he wanted to see all of that hard work pay off. Um, and that happens to us every, every day. Every human being wants something good every day. And every day we experience a gap between the goodness that we want and the goodness that we actually get. Right? That, that even with our best efforts, even when everything appears to be going just right, Every day, life reveals to us this, this gap 
here's the goodness I want, here's the goodness I actually get out of life. What's going what's gonna to fill that gap? This is why we need to learn this skill that Scripture calls surrender. Um, because every day something is going to happen to expose the fact that we want more life and goodness than we can get for ourselves. We want more out of this life than we can manufacture. It's good to realize that, but it's hard to realize that, and it happens every day. So every day, life is going to remind us that we've got to learn to surrender to something bigger than we are. Because if the gap is always there, and even our best efforts can't close it, then we, we need something, someone more powerful than us to close it. Listen to how Jesus describes that in Luke chapter 18. What is impossible with man, there's the gap, is possible with God. Something bigger than we are can provide the life and the goodness that we're longing for. That same idea that Jesus mentions in that one sentence is unfolded in Psalm 115. Listen to how it begins. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Right? We can't close the gap. Not us, Lord. You're going to have to do it. We've got to learn to surrender to you, bigger, more powerful than we are. So as we've been thinking recently, and we'll keep thinking over time, about our calling as a church, our, our mission, why are we here? We're here to see people transformed, changed by the grace that God makes available to us through Christ. And we're here to see people known in a community of real love, self-sacrificial love. Not perfect love, the kind of love that requires constant mending of uh, forgiveness and repentance and apology and, and rebuilding relationships. But there can be a real community like that because of the grace that comes to us through Christ. That's a real possibility in this world. And then we want to see people sent into this world to restore everything that is broken and distorted. Uh, human wisdom has distorted life on this planet in so many ways, spiritually, physically, you name it. But God can make it right again through his grace. We're called to be part of that. Those things expose some of these deep longings that every human being has. Every human being needs to be changed because there are things that are about us that are keeping us from the life and the goodness that we want to have. So we all need this transformation that comes through God's grace. None of us wants to be alone. Even those of us who say we like to be alone, those of us who say we are introverts, want time with people sometimes who really get us, who really know us, who really love us, who don't just pretend to. 
who don't just love us as long as we're getting stuff right, but who will be there when things fall apart. Every human being wants to belong to a community like that. And everybody wants to impact the world. Everybody sees things broken around them and wants to make it right again. We long for these things. The Christian message says those are all impacts of the gospel, this true story of how God has made his gifts of life and goodness available through Jesus to anyone who will trust him. That gospel, that story has impacts on people, these kinds of impacts. The gospel changes us. It creates this kind of community, and it empowers us to go out and seek restoration of all that is broken in our world. But to, for this to happen, we have to surrender to the power of that gospel and that transforming grace. This is not something that we will get right as a church because we are great. If we get this right as a church, it's only because this, this true story about Jesus is having its work in us and on us and through us. So our calling is surrender, is to see these deep needs and longings that we have for this kind of transformation and life in this kind of community and, and this kind of impact on the world, to see those through the lens of what Jesus has done and is doing for us. And then part of our calling is to help other people see their own longings for life and goodness through the lens of the grace of Jesus. So every day, things are going to happen in our lives to expose our longing for more life and more goodness than we can get by ourselves. Every day, something's going to show us that what we need is this reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. The problem is... We're going to take all those daily reminders and our hearts are going to distort them. We are good at surrender. We're good at running the race real fast in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, when the Bible talks about idols and idolatry, this is the reality it's talking about. is this human tendency to trust in the source of life and goodness of our own choosing. Rather than trusting the God who is the ultimate capital U source of life and goodness, the human tendency is to say, you know what, where is that God? That God doesn't exist, verse 2, right? There is no God in the heavens who does all that he pleases, so let's make a God out of silver and gold. Let's use our hands to craft and fashion something that can't talk back to us. And so this human tendency to create idols is part of every one of us. We take something that isn't ultimate. We treat it as though it is. We make a promise to serve it in exchange for getting our deepest needs met. And it works kind of like this. Hey, because we chose this little g God for ourselves, we think we can control it and manage it. I mean, we made it, so we're in charge of it, right? And yet it has a way of making us hollow on the inside. That's what this psalm is talking about, 
right? When it goes through this long description of what an idol is like. And then it says in verse 8, if you make an idol, you will become like it. If you trust an idol, if you trust something to be ultimate that isn't in fact ultimate, it will make you as lifeless as it is. It will make you as hollow as it is. Uh, can we think about one example of that? Have you done any quiet quitting lately or reading about this phenomenon? Now, some people say it's not really a phenomenon. It doesn't exist. And uh, some people say, well, it exists, but it's very unhealthy. And some people say it exists and it's very healthy. Uh, I'm not going to solve those debates this morning. But just to say, the fact that our culture is discussing this tendency that a lot of people seem to have right now, which is to do the quiet quitting at work, you know, to kind of say, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm not going to do any more than is asked of me. I'm not necessarily going to uh, spend extra time or effort on something. I'm just going to, you know, here's what you've agreed to pay me. Here's what you've asked me to do in return for that. I will do that bare minimum. You will pay me your bare minimum, and we will all be happy Right, And in some ways, this is a healthy corrective to making an idol out of our work. One of the idols that human hearts craft for ourselves, we say, you know what? Instead of asking God, who has control over me, to give me life and goodness, I'm going to take this work, which I have control over, And I'm going to trust it to give me fulfillment. And life and goodness will come from being really great at my job. And, um, of course, that idol is never satisfied and keeps asking you to give more and more and more. Put in more hours. Put in more effort. Spend more time on email on the weekends. You know, like, uh, if you read enough about quiet quitting, you'll come across some boss somewhere saying, I I hope the people who stop at 5 o'clock work for my competition. Because I want more of your time. I want more of your life. I want more of your energy. Give, 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 give. Well, okay. How does that work out? If I make my work, my idol, I will become hollow inside. I'm trusting this idol to give me life, but there's less and life, less and less life to be had. Because there's less and less energy to enjoy anything outside of work. And there's less and less time and effort And even when I'm with my family, I'm constantly thinking about something else. And part of quiet quitting, I think, is people going, idolatry is bad. Worshiping your work is bad. It will kill you. Yeah. But here's the trap. Pride will kill you, too. If we go around going, hmm, I don't worship the work idol. I'm really good at setting boundaries. I'm really good at discipline. I'm better than you are at not checking email when I'm on vacation. Aren't I good and aren't you stupid? Well, now, I've fought, I, now I'm worshiping another idol. Instead of worshiping work, I'm worshiping smart Jimmy. I'm worshiping self-control. I, if I set up a life that says nobody ever gets to tell me when to do anything, Quiet quitting could lead, lead to that place, right? Nobody gets to tell me how much effort to put in. Nobody gets to tell me when to give my best. 
Well, suddenly I've become the center of my universe. Guess what? The universe isn't centered around me. So do you feel the challenge? The challenge isn't whether we're going to surrender to something ultimate. We are going to. We are good at running this race. We will run it fast. We will surrender and submit to something every day. The question is what? Well, quiet quitting is about work as an idol. Um, there are all kinds of idols that we could talk about in our culture. Money, closely related to but not the same thing as work in our world. Uh, family can become an idol. Rejection of family can become an idol. I'm so committed to not spending time with my family. I'm healthy. I've got boundaries. And now I'm back in that pride place again. I've, romance can be an idol. Sex can become an idol. Those two aren't the same thing, right? Power can become an idol. Um, we're good at surrendering to things that are not ultimate. We are good at this distorted form of daily surrender. There's good news. This can be redeemed. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to stay this way. We don't have to keep worshiping gods who make us hollow in the end. Jesus says, hey, what is not possible for you is possible for God. What's impossible with man is possible for God. If we learn to surrender to him, then all this distorted surrender can be overcome. God's grace can change us so that we learn a new kind of surrender that's not characterized by distortion, the kind of distortion that Psalm 115 describes. Why was Jack running in the wrong direction? Well, it was the first ever of this particular race, and the volunteers who were scheduled to go set out the little orange cones to mark where the turn in the race course was weren't very organized, and they didn't realize how fast someone like Jack could run this course. So he got to the turn before they did. The cones weren't there. He went in the wrong direction because there was nobody there pointing him in that right direction. And so um, what would it look like for us to kind of run a race in which we could just go all out and not have to worry about heading off in the wrong direction? What would that kind of corrected, redirected surrender, redeemed surrender start to look like day-to-day? Uh, -day? Can we just mention patterns? If you lean into every day expecting something to show you that you want more than this world has to offer. Now, you can lean into every day kind of numb and not even thinking on that deep level. 
I think we were created to lean into every day without numbness, though. <laughs> lean into every day expecting, Lord, I don't know if it's going to be something good, a foretaste that tells me I am longing for the full feast, or I don't know if it's going to be a hunger pain, something bad and hard that happens to me today that reminds me I was made for more than this. I'm longing for more than anyone or anything in this life can offer me. I'm lifting up my eyes to you as the giver of life. I'm expecting that something every day is going to expose this longing for more life and goodness than I can have right now or could ever get for myself. And then I need an awakening to happen, an awakening that goes, oh, hang on a second. If I see the gap between the goodness I want and the goodness I can get in this life, I have to wake up every day to this reality. I cannot fill that gap because my heart is going to want to go to sleep every day and go, oh, I got this. I can make me a nice little idol of silver and gold, a nice little manageable, controllable God, and, and the gap will be filled. Every day my heart is going to lie to me and tell me I can do that. And every day i got to wake up again and go, no, 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 no. When the moment comes and I see the gap and I see that I'm made for more than this life can give me, then I'm going to wake up and say, my instinct must not be to trust myself. My instinct will only lead me to a place that is hollow. So I'm going to turn to you, Lord. I'm not going to keep running straight in that moment. I'm going to look for the cones. <laughs> They're going to redirect me and turn me back to you. You are the giver of life and goodness. And it is better to have life and goodness on your terms, even if I don't always understand them than to pursue the false promise of life and goodness on my terms and in the end wind up empty and hollow. That rhythm, that's one way of describing this kind of everyday process of surrender that's pointed back in the right direction. Why would I want to do that? That sounds like hard work every day and the answer is given to us at the beginning of this psalm not to us O lord not to us but to your name give glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness i will not do the hard work of surrendering to this god unless i know I can trust him to love me. How do I know I can trust him to love me? Our psalm gives us one image. Verse 9, 10, 11. One image, but it gives it to us over and over again. Trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 11 repeats it. He is their help and their shield. Think about what a shield is and does. Someone is so angry at me, they want to destroy me. 
they want to cause me agony and pain and anguish, and they want me to stop living. And the shield is the thing that means that all of that harm falls on it instead of on me. The enemy gets to give the full blow, all the anger, pow, but the shield absorbs it. And it means that, that instead of this crushing defeat that ends my life, there's the, there's the real possibility that at the end of this day, I'm enjoying victory and more life instead of less life. That is the story about Jesus. Jesus comes into our world to be that kind of shield, to absorb all the misery, the agony, the anguish, the, the just anger that God would have for all the distorted things that we do to one another, falling on someone else instead of on us so that at the end of it all instead of having less life we have more life that's what a shield is and does if you want to know whether God has steadfast love and faithful love look at the fact that he sent his son into our world to be crucified that's when he was absorbing all of those blows. And then to be resurrected. That, that's when he's entering into his victory, which he promises to share with anybody who will come to him in faith. So when we talk about our mission as a church... What we're talking about is becoming the kind of people who go set the cones out. We know what it's like to run the race the wrong way <laughs> as Christians. And we know what it's like to have someone who comes into the world and shields us from that and sets us on a, a right path again. And because we know that what it's like to be loved that way, we, we long to become people who are out setting the cones to, to redirect this distorted surrender to gods that will leave us hollow and direct people to a God who loves us as we ourselves have been loved. Our mission is not about a long list of things for us to do to earn our Christian badge or our good church award. It's just another way of surrendering and saying, Lord, <laughs> I will run the wrong way unless you direct, redirect my heart, and you have done that, and I want to see that done for other people too. So Jack and I were talking about the story of his race as we were running uh, in a park in St. Louis, and I'm listening to him tell this story about winning the race, running faster than everybody else on the course, and yet being treated like he did something wrong. 
if, if you calculated his pace per mile, it was faster than anybody else that day. Now, he ran a lot further than a 5K. <laughs> he had to backtrack to get back on course and finish. But he ran faster pace than anybody else there. And yet, he got treated like the guy who ran the wrong way. Uh, I won, but I'm getting treated like I did something wrong. And Jack was honest about how hard it was, you know, to watch somebody else be celebrated as the champion. Like, that's my victory celebration, and, and, and that guy's enjoying it, and I'm over here. And that was hard. I mean, there, there is not a runner in the world who loves their competition enough to lose the race so that somebody else can win. And as I'm listening to Jack tell this story, trotting along, and I'm like, hey, Jack, do we know a story like this? And Jack says, ah, I guess we do. That's, that's the story about Jesus, isn't it? That's the story about a God who loves us enough to lose the race so that we could win it. Yeah, if there's a God like that, why wouldn't you want to surrender to that God? If there's a God who can love us like that, why wouldn't you want to look for the cones that direct you toward him? Why wouldn't you want to set the cones out to see other people running in his direction. These little cones that say, not to us, not to us, but to his name be the glory because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Uh, a pastor who loved you well in past centuries said that the human heart is an idol factory, constantly making gods that we think are improvements on you. We're constantly re re redrawing the race course, thinking we could find a better way to win. Lead us back to you, we pray, because of your great love and faithfulness. Amen.